Let's go. Yo. Welcome back to Bingetown TV. We're happy to have you here. So today we're continuing our Rooks and Vets series with Carnival Row episodes four and five. We're officially back in the Berg now. We're back on the row and we have our full cast of characters back. So everybody's back in the mix for these two episodes. How do we feel about them, Rooks? Yeah, being taken out of everything for episode three, the flashback episode with Vignette and Philo, it was kind of shocking to remember how many storylines there are going on and knowing that this is episodes four and five and there's only eight total. I'm like, what the fuck? And where is this going? <laughs> but I really liked these two. We got some dope information specifically about Philo that I can't wait to dig into. And I love the Ashling stuff. The Ash, Ash whatever her name is. I, every time she sings, I'm, my heart's breaking. Yeah, I bet you didn't think she was going to be that important after no, the first death, right? No, hell no. Yeah, I'm really loving this show right now. I'm going to do my best to remember these names. Episode three was doing it for me. I only had to remember three names. But uh, yeah, I'm trying hard to figure out how all these are going to connect. And I'm working my gears here. And I have a crazy theory at the end about some stuff that we'll get into. But I'm, I've said it before. I'm fully in. I'm really enjoying the show. And I do want to say that now that we're done with the episode three flashback and we're back in the Berg, like Kyle said, this is when I remember my first watch through starting to think the same way as you, Jimmy. I don't know how they're going to connect. It feels like Imogen, Ezra, and Mr. Agrius are their own storyline, mm-hmm. as well as the Philo and Vignette stuff going on in the actual Carnival Row. And I, I don't know why, but I'm very drawn to the Agrius storyline, even though I love Philo and Vignette, and that's the backbone of the show. But as long as you guys are liking the dynamic so far, you just got to hold on because it, it pays off in my opinion of where the Agrius Imogen Ezra storyline is going. And it's going to be way more important for the overall arching story of the when multiple seasons are out. Now, let me ask you a question. Um, do you think that with these eight episodes, are you allowed to tell me at least vets, does it wrap up where eight episodes seems like it was fine? It was enough. Are you allowed to tell me that or, I would say yes. Okay. Now, I like, think- I like, I just will say that the way I'll put it is I like where we ended season one in terms of how it's going to set us up for a season two. It's crazy because it seems like Amazon Prime just really loves eight episode seasons. Mm-hmm. They do that with the boys. So hopefully, uh, Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time would get more than eight episodes a season. I think they're trying to recreate something. I mean, Netflix is known for their 10 episode shows or their 12 or 13. I think they're saying, hey, we can do eight and we could do it better. And, One thing I will say that I really liked is, so in the first few episodes, I'm like, cool, a monster lit. But I love the Dark Asher stuff, and I love that we're looking for the monster's master, technically, and not just a monster. I 100% agree. I was going to get into that later. The fact that there's a master makes it so much better for the mystery. I also think that exactly what Kathleen was saying... in the first couple episodes, I was like, oh, cool, a monster. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we're going to have to find the monster. The fact that they talk about, especially with the witch, and she says that, uh, Philo says that he feels like it has knowledge or it's intelligent, and she says, no, you're feeling the master's intelligence. I like I like that. I like that we're looking line. for... Yeah. yeah, I like that we're looking for a master, and I have some theories about how it ties in. We'll see if I get there, but we'll do that. We'll wait till the end for that. So we're going to do something a little different for this podcast episode covering for episode four and five. We're going to go through the whole of episode four, but we're going to split it up with isolating all of the Agrius, Ezra, 
and Imogen stuff right in the beginning because it kind of flows better if we just talk about it in that way. And then we'll get to all the Philo and Vignette after. And we're going to do the same thing for episode five. Let's so, do it. Yeah, I'm going to start us what? off. So we start off at the Spurn Rose House breakfast table. And what, who we have is just Ezra and Imogen. And this is the morning after they got into the big fight about Ezra calling her basically a Kardashian. Yeah. And he actually takes it upon himself to apologize because now he's going to eventually need her signature on the house deed so they can put it up for collateral for the next investment. And at this point, Imogen just yeses him to death, but she has the gears cranking herself. So breakfast ends and we get uh, Afisa and Imogen arguing over Imogen's great scheme to get uh, money from Mr. Agrius. So Imogen's whole plan is that the Spurn Roaches can offer him social acceptance. And in exchange for that, he will invest in their business opportunities. Afisa is against it. But since Imogen is her master, Imogen hands her a letter and says, give it to him and tell him to come through the service entrance. And he has to come through the service entrance, A, because so no one can see him. But B, because Imogen has set up kind of a little bit of a ploy, a plot to have all these ladders and fake renovations. So as an excuse that he can't come through the front door. Right. Imogen thinks that Mr. Grius is very gullible and would be easier to trick into this investment plan than it would be dealing with the Wall Street, quote unquote, types that would be on Carnival Row, which her brother is going to go into business with. Yeah, she thinks she's going to be like extra nice to him and she's going to trick him into loaning them this money and she doesn't want to be stuck in debt giving the house up for collateral. So she thinks this is a great plan, but we know that our boy Agrius isn't going to be gullible for that. Afisa is like shit talking Agrius, like kind of being racist, racist when <laughs> she's a fucking fuck too. I'm like, you know, it's so interesting the the hierarchy here. Like she know Afisa has played the game for so long, she knows the game and is like, I'm I'm good with being the servant. I have a good gig here. You're not gonna fuck this up for me, like she was saying to Vignette. So she's willing to be like, no, 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 that's not right. This doesn't. She knows her place. I'm still confused with the whole Puck thing because even Philo will say Puck sometimes, and I don't know if that's him just trying to mesh with the way everything is or if it's not as derogatory as we were saying it was earlier in the first couple podcast episodes. Obviously, we know Critch is the bad word. It seems pretty normalized in the vernacular yeah. of just people in the Berg, so I don't take it as too much past just how Philo talks. Yeah. All right, so our next scene we have with the Spurners is later that night, we have Mr. Agrius accepting the invitation to tea with Imogen. And of course, as we've been saying, he has to take the servant entrance around the back. And he starts right away calling Imogen on her shit. He knows, you could see it in his face, like he knows that this is a ploy. He's just not being respected in the way that he wants to. He's not going to get what he wants out of this relationship. That, like his goal is just to make sure that he's in the equal status as, not, as humans. And this is a bad sign right off the bat. So they make their way into the living room and they start having their small talk. And we actually get some good information here about Agrius's background. I think we've said it in a previous podcast how he is from the country. I think it's the country Puyan. And that's mm -hmm. where I think that's the home country of the Pucks. Yep. So his whole backstory is that he just he got his riches from seizing opportunity in that land before making his way to the Berg. Well, he escaped to New Freehold from the pact, mm -hmm. and I thought New Freehold was where he made his money. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Is New Freehold not in Puyon? I didn't think so, no. It sounded like he escaped Puyon to get to New Freehold. Okay, my mistake. Away from the right. pact, and then ended up there. 
Yeah, that's that's the uh, vibe I got as well. And also that answers our question from last episode of when we talked about the Faye gorillas and Kathleen asked if there was Faye that fought for the pact. And he says here that basically they were just drafting anyone able-bodied into their army. So if you could walk, if you could hold a gun, if you could fight, like you were going to fight for the pact and you didn't have a choice. So he left to escape that and found his way to New Freehold and then said, I found opportunity there. This was something that in the earlier episodes I was really hard on. Like, we don't know where the fuck these places are. Like, we have no relative distance. Like, was it a long journey? Like, all this stuff. So just continuing kind of an issue that we've had with the show. Of yeah, the map on a just random table would have been nice at some point just to have some reference. And talk about specific things like that, Kyle. They have days of the week that are weird, I'm guessing. Like, the, they'll say, like, a day. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's, like, Thursday Goals or something. day, right? Yeah. And yeah. then they have, obviously, we already talked about the seasons and stuff. If you're not checking the facts, like you were saying in the earlier episodes, how the hell are you supposed to know that? Speaking also, of facts, oh, yeah, for this scene, um, Imogen's actress, her name is Tamsin Merchant. She said this was one of her favorite scenes, is the the one-on-one with Agrius. Oh, nice. Well, they have some good scenes, and, and Agrius really is a feisty fellow, man. Yeah, he just doesn't, he doesn't mess around, he's really. He's so transparent about... Whenever anyone's even slightly disrespecting his status, he doesn't mm-hmm. care about race. He just, his status, he thinks yeah. he's rich. He should be treated like anybody else. He's worked his ass off. Exactly. You know? And he goes zero to a hundred on Imogen, just calling her shit and just making her very aware that he was aware about that fake paint setup. Yep. He, he's like, get the fuck out of here with you making me walk through the servant store. Is this a sport to you? Is, yeah. this, is that why you invited me here? Obviously, we're not here to make a business deal. And I was I loving three all three cubes of, of sugar in my tea, and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't give a shite who knows it. I don't give a shite who knows it. <laughs> yeah, that scene, that part's awesome. My favorite line is, she says to him that you're a rarity here. And he responds with, some might say, I'm an impossibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's lit. That's a good... That's, I also love... So, like we said... He thinks it's for sport. It's actually not. It's for money. But she's like kind of taken aback by him. And he says, one day your bashful neighbors will fight to shake my hand. Mm -hmm. I was like, mic drop. That is. Yeah, he leaves. That's the end of the scene, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah. And we get another scene probably halfway through the episode. And this is when you get to see a little bit of Agrius's background influence he has going on in the city of Cornwall. He's starting to dig his talents in because he's getting information from his servants who again are all humans because that's just the way he rolls. So he's in his like badass fly limo, yep. black limo outside the neighborhood. <laughs> and Fergus walks up and tells Agrius about Ezra's desperation ploy for money to make a deal with the banks. And this starts clicking with him of why Imogen actually invited him to the Spurn Rose house in the early scene. And this is a, I think there's, that's pretty much all we get here. Mm-hmm. As much as Imogen is being a hoe, I he is like really intrigued by her. Mm-hmm. As much as he ke- she keeps wronging him, he is genuinely intrigued, and I'm really excited to see them bang. Go on. <laughs> and it is funny too that he says later, like if she would have just been straight up with him and said like this is why you're here, he they would make that deal. He he wants the deal, like the deal that he brings to the table in, in a little bit. Is if she would have just said we need money. Do you have the money to give us? He would say, okay, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. But make me part of your, your status. A treat me as trade. an equal. Yeah, you know? treat me as a goddamn equal. Well, that think? is the next scene. I mean, no. he rolls up at night uh, in the rain. Yes. And says he apologizes to her. 
and she kind of, you know, is about almost about to shut the door on him and he puts his, uh, his cane through the door yeah, and kind of initiates this conversation, which does the dual purpose of a, he wants to have the conversation mm-hmm. and B it extends the amount of time that he's standing there at the front door with the door open. So more and more people realize what the hell's going on. Yep. And we do um, see that the, yep. the neighbor's windows and the second floors are peeking and saying, what the hell's going on over the yeah. roses? The first step, our boy's a schemer, your front door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, this is a really good imaging moment because she freely admits to him what she was thinking, the whole plan and everything. And she does apologize. You know, I like whatever, like I should have been more forthcoming. You know, I shouldn't have done everything so shadily. And I think this is when he looks at her and goes, this is honesty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's a little shocked by it. They have a real ass moment. I loved it. And he's also like, and you're a good looking girl mm-hmm. and you're, and you're 23. Hot. You're a little old, but yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> you're a little old. <laughs> so this is the last scene we have for this storyline in episode four. Do you guys have any final thoughts before we move on back to, <laughs> back to our boy Philo? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So the actual episode itself opened up in the, I think it's called the martyr foundling home. And we found out in an earlier episode from Philo that he grew up in a boy's foster home, and this is that setting. Now, let me interrupt you for a second, Luke. Did we know anything about this foster home, like with the guy hanging as their... Yeah, why is there so many hanging men Well, now you find out that it's like their martyr, right? Mm -hmm. That's the point. But when the scene happens, and I don't really know anything about this guy hanging, I'm looking at all these kids sleeping in bed, and there's a guy hanging from the window, and I'm like, is this? are they just sleeping with a dude? Like, I thought it was a real person. I think there may actually have been some signs of the martyr throughout the Carnival Row backgrounds, yeah. but it's nothing you would have picked up on specifically. But yeah, that's just their Jesus. Okay. And he, it's not a real person? No, no, there are statues throughout the whole. Are they statues? Room. Yeah, I thought they were real yeah. people. No, it's the same thing as uh, it's the same thing as Christ on the cross. Yeah, like mm-hmm. so. If you see, like Never when you when you see the priests, they're wearing nooses around their necks with the robes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's their thing. Yeah. So now we're making our way through this orphan shelter in real time. This is Philo's time, whatever. Not a flashback. And we basically see this monster eat the old man. Yeah, I mean, well, I skipped a lot. A little boy is walking through. He needs to pee. And then we watch his old man. Get yeah. So we get up. he we get to the headmaster. The kid asks if he can go to the bathroom. Now, as he's walking away, the what's it called? Dark Asher. The dark Asher comes in through the window, smashes the window. The kid is looking through the window, seeing the dark Asher, seeing blood splattering. It takes him all the way to walk to the front door to piss himself. I'd be pissing myself way earlier than that. <laughs> well, that's because you're a bitch. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> At least I watched Song of Hill House, Kyle. True. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, young, young Jacob is braver than both of us. That's true. That's true. And after that scene, I think is the intro right after that, but whatever. Now we're back to Philo's perspective, and he is on his way to the foster home to, to start investigating, find out what the murder actually was. And, of course, he has a little bit of an attachment to it. He knows all of the, I don't even know if they're priests or whatever they are, all the people that run it. They all recognize him. He's walking around, and they find the body of the headmaster, who was his headmaster as when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up because it's important that he kept Philo's secret. Uh, and I think, I forget who says that, but we, we found that out a couple episodes ago. But the important thing about the body itself is it was destroyed and split open like Ashling, and this clicked right away to Philo. So he starts looking around the, the yard to find any sort of clues he can. And he sees these yes. big ass, like 
footprints well, that could not have been human. Right. The tracking just don't make sense. There's right. different kinds of footprints. Right. So mm-hmm. he sees a puck's foot, and then he sees another kind of foot, and he says, "How does that work? This doesn't make any sense." And to answer your question, Philo tells Vignette that the, right. that he kept the secret for him. Right. There you up. go. So Philo follows this trail of mismatched footprints, hoofprints, uh, in the mud. And it leads him to an open well uh, that leads down into the sewers. Uh, the, the grates have been pushed aside, and there's a ladder that leads down. So naturally, Philo is a man of the law. He's an inspector. So he uh, inspects. Another <laughs> spot I'd be pissing myself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He goes right down there, no hesitation. Um, and what does he find? But our Ooh. Cthulhu monster just staring almost right back at him. I was First time I watched ex- this, I was shocked. Yeah, I was not expecting them to come face-to-face yet. Like, especially because at this point, we don't know about there being a master. So I'm thinking this thing is the mystery. So I'm thinking Orlando Bloom, Philo, seeing the monster is way too early, or it's, it's, a, very, it's a shock to me. It's also nice because the monster came out of a kind of sewer type thing to kill Ashling, Ashling as well. So he obviously just, he's like the fucking basilisk. He's he's through the sewers, through the pipes. Yep. Well, that's how you move around unnoticed. I do want to say if he didn't drop, cause okay. So the monster starts charging at Philo. He's shooting at him a bunch of times Mm -hmm. and typical tension scene. He looks down to reload and looks back up and the monster is completely gone. Right. And if he didn't leave behind the liver, I totally would have thought that was a fake vision or something. Oh, okay. Because it felt too early to meet the monster. Yeah. But we Philo do, is we the do get the liver. We do mm-hmm. get the liver on the ground. and Liver alone, man. <laughs> liver alone. And now we switch to a vignette, correct? Yes. Uh, we are at the Black Raven, and we find out Dahlia is telling us that there is a narc in our midst. I love Dahlia, man. She's a bad bitch. I'll tell you that. Uh, what's the specifics? So they had a shipment coming and it was confiscated by the coppers. So that means that somebody ratted it to the cops. Someone okay. nar- narked it out. And then real quick, Vignette does get paired up with another Black Raven member named Una, who is going to be showing her the ropes. So while they're standing there together in the middle of the Black Raven headquarters, Dahlia starts going on this pretty epic speech, pretty mm-hmm. intimidating speech about giving everyone there two options. You're either going to give yourself up, whoever's the one, whoever's the mole here, and I promise your safety, which is probably bullshit yeah. anyway, <laughs> or I'm going to hunt you down and make sure you get the shit tortured out of you. Yep. Yeah. If they hide, they'll be hunted, torn from the sky, and fed to the eels like garbage. Mm. She's I, a badass. Dahlia does it for me. She's also. This is also the first time we're introduced to Hamlin, who wants to fuck her. And she get. How do you know? Because he told me. <laughs> I fucking love that. And he obviously yeah. becomes important later in the episode. But this is when we meet him. Or have we met him before? Was he the guy that that brought her onto the terrace when Dahlia was? Think Maybe. So. Yeah, I think very briefly. Yeah. Are you even asked Kathleen. You're like, is this guy's name important? We're like, I don't know. <laughs> no. Can't tell. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, and naturally. No one, the cricket, as she would say, doesn't step up and, you know, admit any guilt. Nobody chirps. Chirp, chirp. Yeah, nobody chirps. So we move on to Dombey and Philo are in the, they're there in the the morgue, whatever the room is for the uh, headmasters. I hate that guy, man. And yeah, they're just, they're just bickering as they always do uh, because Dombey insists on being a racist and Philo is very much anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're basically watching the headmaster's autopsy happen. 
And the important part of this scene is that they talk about the fact that the liver has been extracted again, like we said. And then Philo asks, you know, why would he take the liver or like whatever? And the um the doctor, coroner, yeah, the, the coroner. coroner, yeah, basically says, uh, because it'll kill him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a crazy yeah. which, answer. I know. Which it's the worst part about it is that Dombey's right there and laughs too. So Philo yeah. just kind of has to take the L. It's like, damn. Did you rooks think anything of the liver? At least now that we're seeing it for the second time. So to me, I always just thought from the very beginning that the liver was just the monster eats liver. Like okay. that's what it likes to do. It eats the liver of the of its victims. I had no, <laughs> I had nothing else to think of at this point. I don't. Yeah, me neither. So Philo, after taking this L from uh, both the coroner and Dombey, uh, moves on to the row to find Mima Sawson, who is the the Mima who from episode two came and gave Ashling the burial rites. Yep. Um, and he asks her about the liver mystery because he is just as clueless as you guys were. Uh, what the fuck's going on with this liver? So she speculates similar to Jimmy, that uh, the liver could be a prize. But Philo is like, that can't just be it. There has to be more to it. Um, he knows so that she's... I'm a dumbass? <laughs> Philo is saying you're a dumbass, yeah. Well, this is why he's the inspector and you're not. Yeah, that's true. So he keeps prying, keeps prying, and she admits that in the lore of the Fae, there is a being called a Dark Asher. Um, she quotes St. Titania and says that there's a strange power in the joining of unlike things. Title he's of still like yeah title of the uh, he's still confused like what the fuck is all this you know cryptic bullshit so he basically says that he only believes in things that he can see with his own eyes and she just responds i love this quote how she says be careful inspector skepticism might keep you sane but it won't necessarily keep you alive mm-hmm. yeah it's dope so basically she explains that a dark asher is a golem of flesh fashioned from limbs of the dead, given new life, new purpose, which is so cool. And he says something. I don't have the quote written down, but he's like, you tell me just like a dead ass. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what he says. And he, she's like, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> of course, awesome. he's going to be skeptical. So he gets sent in the direction of the Harispex, the witch. Is this this is the witch from episode yeah, two? Yeah, the OA's mom. Oh the shit! Mom. That just screwed me up with my theory. Really? I think. You dumb. Damn bitch. it! Well, I'm gonna say it anyway later. Yeah. So wait, this is Hilaria Sands, witch. You're saying? Or? Yeah. Oh, darn it! <laughs> Screws my theory up. Well, we're gonna get to the hair specs in a little bit. We flash over to the Breakspears' parents. Mm-hmm being uh, Piety and Absalon still talking about how there's been no word of Jonah. And we know what we know at this point, right? right? So Piety is just being ridiculous with her fake ass acting, you know, being all emotional, saying you got to you got to act rash. You got to go arrest writer longer being right now. Yeah. And it's it's very interesting because I, I couldn't figure out. Obviously, we know now how this whole thing goes. And I thought her plan was to make him act rash to get him kicked out as the chancellor to screw it all up for him. Because if he acts out in the middle and arrests and everything's wrong, mm-hmm. then he would get kicked out as a chancellor. But I guess that, that that was my original theory for her before we start finding out some answers. It could have went that way, too. That's what I, I mean. It could go. It, her intentions are not clear. I, I have my guess, which I will say out loud, but nobody reacted to my text. So I didn't read it because you told me not to read yeah. it. Yeah, but she's such a devious hoe and she's saying <laughs> all this stuff. And then they moved to court and he goes, first of all, he goes, 
I'm going to be cool as a cucumber, baby. I won't do anything. And as soon as he gets there, he's like, you give me my son. You son of a bitch. No restraint at all. (laughs) Longer Bane says, if you have the the votes to whatever, like bring them forward. He's like, you bring forward my son. It's so dramatic. And it made me wince when I was watching because we all know that Ritterbane does not have a son. Yeah. And I was like, it, it actually geez. causes a physical confrontation where he starts like hitting him, which I thought would have been enough to enact your plan, Jimmy, right. and get him yeah. kicked out as chancellor right away. But it actually, that, that scene ends abruptly. And I think we flash right back to Breakspear's house and Piety's coming in now for the second time in five minutes, demanding that he goes and arrest Longer Bane right now. Mm-hmm. And that's when. Something clicks in Absalon. He says, "Fine, have the Viper brought in." Right. Oh, I was yeah. talking about Sand. Have the Viper Sand. brought in. Well, it's, it's Ritter Longer Bane. So yeah. you were close enough. Ritter yeah. Bane. And I just, I just want to mention that uh, the homie Wine Trout, his number one advisor, is adamantly against this plan. Yeah, yeah. I, but I naturally, he sides with his wife and is like, "Okay, let's get him." Yeah, I honestly thought Piety was just trying to destroy the husband. So I don't know. I guess we don't know still. I know, but maybe. I just I'm gonna say this quote just because I just like the way they talk. Um, but <laughs> when Longer Bane's whatever given his his speech, his classic anti critch crusade, and he says, "Selling elixir to men without hope, and selling coitus to the weakest among us." Yeah. <laughs> and, I just and love he it. Always, and he takes that. He's saying that, and every time he brings this situation up, Breakspear is always like, you son of a bitch, you go too far, because there's <laughs> something there. And and I'm going to get into that for my theory later, but you're assuming it's because we know Jonah goes to the row and gets some money with the with the Fae. But I got another theory, Kyle. You're chock full of them, bro. They, but I, I hope all, one of the these same. many no, theories. No, no, no. <laughs> these are all one theory. I just keep saying it because I want to make, if I'm right, dude, it's over. Sounds like we already poured some water on it, but all right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it definitely does sound episode. like that. Everyone yeah. listen to the 100 podcasts. I've had plenty of L theories. <laughs> so um, we're back to Philo now. And in order to prepare for the Horospix, he is buying a fish in the market. And who is coincidentally right behind him buying flowers, but vignette. Awkwardly runs into his ex in public. Classic. Uh, Yeah. And uh, he basically tracks her down and admits to her that he was lost and trapped between worlds. And that, you know, basically he is trying to apologize about what happened, but it's not going very well because she doesn't really give a fuck. I love this line. He's he's telling her, like, loving you meant letting you go. And she goes, so do it. Yeah. Another mic drop moment. And yeah. as that happens, the black raven that's been trailing her right. sees this interaction and just starts guessing at what they were talking about. Causing right. trouble. Bad news for Vignette. Yeah. Well, she's being seen in the street with a cop. Yep. And she's brand new now to the black raven. That's a bad recipe. Yeah. She is the variable that changed. There's a narc in the mist and she just joined and she's talking to a cop on the street. Of course, you would deduce that. Mm hmm doesn't take a Sherlock, you know what I'm saying? So the L's keep coming for Philo because this next scene is absurd. And for my money, probably the, the wackest scene of the whole season. Yeah. Um, but So he shows up at the Harrisvik shop and he's got his fish. He's got his mole, both dead, and basically says, bitch, make me a dark hasher. 
So lit. I love this. And it's my favorite note of the entire. Yeah, um, right. Of all the notes I've ever taken, my favorite uh, note. But I'll wait. Yeah, until wait till it's there. time. Kyle, do you or Luke, do you have the actual line where she explains the thing to her, the ritual? Because I think it's ridiculous that he, first of all, agrees to it. But second of all, kind of doesn't because she kind of drugs him. Drugs him. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah. it's crazy. So essentially... The caveat is that she basically tells him that she can make it, but it's going to be bound to him till his final breath. Yeah, so I'm like, you're going to make a fish mole thing bound to me till my final breath? I'm good. I- I'm out. I don't need to be here. My question was, does it grow at all? Like, he, when he's like, put it in a jar then. Is it no, gonna, it like- is what it is. Like, that's that's why she says later that the, the big dog is crazy. It's someone really powerful has to do it mm. because it is huge, you know? So, yeah, she says the last thing you need basically is what anyone would need to procreate. Whatever she says, your seed. He gets super high. It's <laughs> lit. And, and you're watching like you're high. And then she turns into V and fucks him. I don't know if she nah, actually. That's fucks what him, I was going to ask. Is that off. just her riding Philo? No, as I think she just did, her, did her deed. As the <laughs> like, do you like think she, it, he's imagining it? So he, so he get. It's the drug, and I believe she just <laughs> jerked him. Some magic bullshit. <laughs> I'm he, in that train of thought that she how, jerked yeah, him off. I don't. I don't know how else to say it. She <laughs> more Carla Delevingne tits, but still no Orlando Bloom penis. Oh, by the way, can we talk about the fact that again they're penis shy? Did this already happen? Where no, I guess yeah, the headmaster dead. He's got a vag instead of a dick, apparently, when he's laying there on the table. He's oh, just I got a see. he's just got a patch of hair instead of a schlong. <laughs> really? I didn't, yeah. I, didn't I, had to, yeah. I took that note because I was like, we if we're gonna talk about no penises, this is the spot to show us. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. No one That's has true. penises in this yeah. town. Um, it didn't even need to be an actual actor. It could have just been just like a fake prop. To it. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Now I'm pissed. We're all about equality in this show and in this podcast. I mean, if you're going to show everything for girls, you need to show that schlong. Too true, man. We want the schlongs. Anyway, <laughs> how did you how did you put it, Kathleen? The other episode, uh, show us Those the penis, you bastards! Cowards! Yeah. You cowards! Are oh, you cowards? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the transition from Philo basically getting drugged and raped is uh, a very calm, casual horrorspix saying. Very flatly, I have what I need. And he just wakes up and he's just like, he looks down. He's like, oh, like, God damn. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Like, I would be like, dude, like, come on. And my favorite note is, that's a lot of cum. That is, yeah. that is ridiculous. <laughs> it was so much. It's, it's disgusting the way they do it, too, just because she's pouring it in. And it's like, it's just so much. I wonder what they used. His real cum? No. Orlando Bloom's real cum? <laughs> yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus. Right, uh, I, I, I knew this scene was going to get us wild and it did not. Disappoint. We were texting about this scene. Like Kathleen is going to love this. We, we talked about some questionable shit during Spartacus, but I don't know. I think we just passed it here. I love witches, though. I love a good witch scene. I'll tell you that I was watching this and my my jaw was on the floor and I was like looking around like anybody. She's no a compelling character, though, that witch, especially the line that sticks with me is back when she gave the fake prediction to Piety and Absalom Breakspear, what she said when it was just the two of them, Piety and the, the Hairspecs, is that my ma- I never lie about my magic. 
So she's always right, meaning I trust her with anything she's doing. So clearly in my head as an audience member, I'm thinking this uh, Dark Asher is going to work. And anytime you, you, she's on the screen, just good information, magical information yeah. is coming to light. So I agree. I think she's a great character. Yeah. Totally. I just assumed that all the witches kind of like looked like that. I didn't even put together. I thought it was two different witches that he went to. I, I might have thought that, but I know that actress and made a big deal out of saying, Luke, guess who she's from the oh, last okay. time. Okay. Yeah. Because for some reason, like in when she's with Piety, I took her as like way older looking to me and smaller. I don't know. Whatever. She's the thing okay. that connects all the storylines. <laughs> mm-hmm. She is. The witch. I have a theory about it, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do, and I bet it's fucking wrong. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so we now get uh, vignettes aftermath of her and Philo's interaction. Um, Una is showing her the ropes, kind of you know, walking her through the route, when Bolero, who is the right-hand man of Dahlia from the Black Raven, shows up and says that Dahlia wants to see her now. So they go back to the hideout and the transition is pretty abrupt to her mm. basically hanging over the ledge, being held by her wings and then screaming at her like, you know, why are you with, why are you talking to the inspector? You know, basically they know that she's the cricket they're convinced and she has to convince them that she's not. She gets put in a shitty, shitty situation because while she knows it's not her, she has zero idea who it could possibly be. She's so right. new to this organization and the ploy she goes through to eventually killing the guy, that Hamlin. Hamlin, it's just she gets put in that awkward situation. And it is crazy because we all have been in situations where we we know the truth that we're not what we're being accused of, but we don't have an answer either mm-hmm. of who it actually is or what it actually is. So it's just so awkward and she doesn't know what to do. So she just says, all right, well, I'll find who it is. And she says, well, you have to find him by the end of this of the night or you're dead. Yeah, she goes straight to Tourmaline, and Tourmaline's like, "You gotta get the fuck out of here! Don't look yeah. for the, don't look for this guy. You have no idea where to start. Just get the fuck out of here." And she's like, "No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna find him." I'm gonna say it every time Tourmaline gets brought up, but I fucking love her. Yeah. Love her so <laughs> much. She's such a good character, and she just makes Vignette better. She's just like the moral compass for her, kind of, even though she's the whore. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's got to do it though, man. They're making her do that. So the social status. Okay, so now we're gonna get for the first time in a while, a new important character introduction. And we now move over to the Longerbane Manor. And this is the first time we're seeing the home of writer Longerbane. And we meet his daughter, Sophie. And Sophie is at this dinner table with her father, just talking back and forth. And you could tell very early in the conversation that she's just ambitious and she hates feeling so suppressed in the house. She talks about going on vacations or going to do her study somewhere else. She just wants to do things. And it feels like Ryder is just holding her down. Yeah. She brings up how it's a first and ever, I guess that they're allowing women to be enrolled in his alma mater. And she says, Oh, well maybe I'll, enroll mm-hmm. next whatever weird season <laughs> that they call it and <laughs> then he looks up and he says whatever he says basically saying no and she's like well i'm not asking your permission and then that's Bitch. when writer gets up from the table goes right over to her and threatens her saying like see how far you get without me yeah and before anything else happens she has a, her hand on the knife yeah right next to her table. What was she about to just fucking just stab him in the face? I mean, the dog looked like it was getting ready to run. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say that before this, I was uh, like until the end of the scene, I was completely unaware that that was his daughter. Oh, I I was going to say too. I could not because 
I mean, there's like piety is so much hotter than her husband. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I, so I was like, okay. So, but when they introduced Sophie, I was like, she's related to piety somehow. This all matches up. The Jonah stuff, the the Ritter Bane that's on his name. I, <laughs> it, but it took until until later because I was like. Piety's trying to get Sophie out from under her dad's fucking eyeballs somehow. I don't know why, but then by the end, I'm like, Piety's her mom, and I'm sticking by that. I mean, I'm just saying, I agree. Like, I thought when I first saw them across the table from each other, I just thought it was like his wife. She's hot. Trapped yeah. wife. Yeah, she's <laughs> hot. That's just the and she's trapped. Out there. Yeah, yeah, she is hot. Well, she, um, she gets into it a little bit later, but she does lean into her mother's side of things, uh, like the ancestry of her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's very connected with or wants to be connected with because he kind of spits back at her and is like she wasn't like you know she was born in the embassy down the street like she has no connection with those ancestors like you can't have one either basically yeah he's a dick he's huge. I mean you would expect exactly that from him I mean if he's gonna be racist he's gonna be sexist too he has no redeemable qualities yeah. at all at least like Ezra piece of shit but he was like apologizing to his sister he felt bad this dude just every time he's on the screen you hate him more and more I just yeah. still, I just still wish bringing up Ezra. I wish his character, the whole thing with V, didn't happen. Yeah, because then he could still be redeemable uh, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. He's a he's a pussy and also a douche at yeah. the same time. Now it's rapist, just I don't so. give a shit what yeah. he says. So they take Ritter Longer Bane. The cops come and take him away. So they're bringing him to the Breakspears. Mm-hmm. So the cops take uh, Longer Bane to Breakspear, mm-hmm. and instead of really questioning him or, you know, being level-headed like he said he was going to be, uh, hits him with a right hook. Yeah. Just punches him right in the face. (laughs) And we should also bring up that I guess it's technically not the cops. It's his guard because long spear said, or longer, long spear, (laughs) longer, (laughs) long spear, baby. Woo. Writer spear. Yeah. (laughs) Longer Bane says, Oh, now you're using your guard as your, as your police or as your lackeys, whatever. Yeah. So, we step away from Absalom beating the shit out of Ryder. And now we're in the dungeon of where the Breakspears are keeping Ryder longer Bane. And he looks like he's been going through it. He's been getting tortured. They're trying to get information. Where is Jonah? Where's Jonah? And he actually is very relieved when he sees that it's Piety that's coming to Mm -hmm. him. He's bringing him a little cup of water, tea, whatever it is. And in typical Alaria Sands, Game say. of Thrones style, Marcella death right there. Yep. She poisons the shit out of him and looks him in the eye as he's dying. Yep. And then my favorite part of this scene is before she walks back out, yeah. she's like getting right to the door and she puts this like horror face on and starts fake crying and going, oh my God. And just like walks out of the room and starts talking to her husband who just got done beating the shit out of him. And she goes ahead with her plan and lies and says, he died but right in front of my eyes, but before he did, he told me where Jonah was. And obviously, she already had that what information. What a brat. Wow. My note is, poison him, question mark? She's so cool. And then, <laughs> then, and then my note says, the moment to collect herself before starting to act straw <laughs> is so money. Like it's, she's like, so she takes a full mm-hmm. like six or seven seconds to, and then just turns it on. I'd like to assume that's what actors do in real life. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And I, she's awesome. She's so demanding when she's on the screen. I feel like everything is revolving around her. Speaking of Alaria's sand, uh, there's a part with Sophie where she says something like desert, like her people are from the desert or mm-hmm. something like that. And I was like, desert, sand, piety and Sophie are <laughs> mother and daughter. They're both from the desert. <laughs> anyway, 
Your theories are funner than Jimmy's because Jimmy just keeps saying, I got a theory, I got a theory. At least you are just excitedly just spouting them out there. Like, they're going to bang. They're mother and daughter. (laughs) I'm not throwing them out till it's time to throw them out. I I threw it out, Jimmy goes, you have to say that again. I have not said that Imogen and Ezra are banging, so I'm going to take that W. Um, What do you mean? How are you going to take any Ws yet? (laughs) True. What W? Imogen and Ezra. Are banging. They're not. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Before we move on, I just want to mention that my favorite part of this scene is uh, when he's he's choking, he can't speak, and she leans in and goes, say what? You're holding him where? Yeah. Oh, the Copley Bass? Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's just playing with his ass, man. She is demonic. She's great. Could you imagine if her husband walked in and saw that and was like, uh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was right outside the door. Like, <laughs> Hilarious, though. So we move from the the torture and death of Longerbane to finding out that Hamlet is our cricket. We find out because he is been arrested, I guess you could say. He's in an interrogation room. Philo rolls in and kind of initiates a conversation about um he actually asks him about the dark asher. Yeah. Uh and Hamlin's like, You're fucking crazy. Like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And then Philo kind of, you know, kind of getting under his skin a little bit, trying to push him more towards giving him information like you know brings up dahlia and says we wouldn't want dahlia finding out that you're here Mm -hmm. now who does who does hamlin say could be the one gathering body parts he uh, actually mentioned yes you're correct that ren ren is the girl that dahlia tossed off the ledge in episode two yeah Mm -hmm. he said that she was possibly working for someone digging up bodies someone with a religious sounding name Right, and he said, where can I find her? Oh, well, you'll have to dig her up as well. Yeah, exactly. So Philo, after threatening Hamlin, walks out of the interrogation room, and this is a cool, quick scene where Tourmaline's walking by, and yeah. she's actually in the precinct to talk to Philo and tell him how worried she is about Vignette and, and the Black Raven, who's basically hunting a cricket, and they think it's her. So they have their... the Okay, I did want to say... That I like that they rehashed the idea that back on Tiernanok that Tourmaline was the one that put the idea yeah. of leaving Vignette into Philo's mind. So I thought that was a really cool interaction because I was blaming Tourmaline like two episodes ago, yeah. but she doesn't blame herself because she said, I didn't tell you to lie about your death. Yeah, I didn't mean to I didn't tell you to fucking fake your own death. I thought you cut it off clean, bitch. What? So 50-50. I'm gonna put half the blame yeah, on each right. of them. Uh, I say 20-80. 80 on Philo. 20 on Tourmaline for like, because if my best friend's like, you should break it off with her, I'd be like, bitch! No, let me figure it out myself. So that scene conversation ends with Tourmaline giving the ultimatum, you have to blame it on, on Hamlin and you have to let me tell or vignette. So while that conversation is about to end, Berwick walks in, interrupts the two of them talking, and says that Joan has been found. The flute wants all hands on deck. Everyone has to go. And I think that's our next transition, right? We see Jonah in the pool room. Butt all the cops naked. busting in. Yeah, butt-ass naked. The cops bust in, and they, and they save him. I love when he's reunited with Father Breakspear, and he's hugging him, and from behind, you hear piety's fucking mm-hmm. footsteps and it like click, click. Yeah. like he's like ah! you realize i mean i that. find it, it's wild that he it's really cool that he does that where it shows the scene where he's he's reminded of it but i mean any woman wearing heels right it's not it doesn't confirm it for sure but it just well, makes no, his yeah, ears I mean, perk up and go 
That's the exact same footsteps and the exact cadence. Especially when you have because a bag over your head for days, mm-hmm. you're v- very much paying attention to everything you hear. And especially because they're telling him it's it's longer Bane. Yes. And it's a woman that he knows. Yeah. What woman in heels is? is longer Bane longer might be Bane. wearing heels, man. This that would be a commitment if Longer yeah. Bane was like, "All right, I got to put on heels so he thinks it's a woman." And it's just- <laughs> Him like walking like a like a newborn deer like <laughs> over the stones like <laughs> trying yeah trying to walk around and be intimidating and he's just tripping over himself. Uh, I thought this was a great scene for Jonah. I thought that was the first time where if we're doing this Hogwarts style plus ten for Jonah because he, he now you know not he's not just this gullible idiot. He's thinking at least so he has mm. some sort of political mind going on right now. So. I like that about him. This is when I think his character starts to turn because we haven't really seen a lot of Jonah besides him banging Tourmaline. Yeah. So this is that's good shit though. Fle- yeah, stuff, great shit. This say. is this Not is where bad. we're gonna start fleshing out his character. Are we supposed to assume that him and Sophie are pretty much the same age? I don't know if there's. Any I don't know, but Jonah wants to bang. So oh yeah, he does. I'll blame him. But All that's right. his stepsister, so he really shouldn't. <laughs> so we got two more scenes here, and this is the big action scene of the episode where we have vignette preying on the information she found out earlier from una that hamlin wants to bang her so she plays this whole plan to trick him back up onto the terrace and i gotta say it was the dumbest assassination temp i've ever seen in my life i have what's your end game here sis close close your eyes and then just not like just Give him what? five seconds to yeah. react. And and whip out the knife with the so she- theatrical with the noise. I mean, she does say, obviously, to Dahlia. I'm pretty sure it's Dahlia. Could be Tourmaline. I can't remember exactly that she's not a killer. Like, that she's never she killed before. Yeah, it's Dahlia. She's never killed before. But still, so ridiculous. Close your eyes, stab in the neck. Right there. Instead, this is classic. They wanted an air battle scene between yeah. two Fey, and they were like, they didn't care about how they got there. They were only caring about the fact that they wanted them to fight in the air. That was to me. I was like, that's Voldemort and Harry just flying around Hogwarts at the end. Together. Yeah. <laughs> Let's finish this. How we start it together. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the knife attempt clearly fails. Uh, she basically tackles him over the ledge and they're in the air. She slips down, is holding on to his leg, and then they scramble back to each other. And then she stabs him through the wing and rips a little bit. And that causes him to kind of spiral down and crash land in a courtyard below. Gotta be an so annoying she- way to fly as a fae, man. Just flapping like that. Mm-hmm. Also, classic horror movie. She thinks she's got him. And yeah. hits the ground. And when she goes to find him, she's like, oh, he's not there. It's fucking Michael Myers. And Hamlin puts her... Of after tackling her to the ground with his hurt wing, he gets the most badass weapon. I thought he just grabs the garden shears that are right next to him and puts her right to her throat and is ready to fuck her up. And that's when our hero comes to save the day at the last minute. Philo comes in, not quick enough. Bang! Shoots Hamlin right in the head. Dead. Right there. Yeah, and then we we clean this up pretty quick. I mean, she's in a panic and she, he's like, you gotta help me get this body into this well we got to get rid of this body which is mm-hmm. like a very cute cute i knew you were gonna this. say that <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're getting rid of the evidence of someone they just murdered but it's cute to kathleen <laughs> but they're flirting <laughs> he's sweet they he's, do have no a little hesitation. bit of a reconciliation here but based on the next scene that we get with philo and portia this isn't a love reconciliation this is more it seems that 
Phyla's just trying to come to a resolution and move on and be able to live with Vignette in Carnival Row, right? Because of the next scene with Portia. Yeah, I mean, this kind of goes back to my theory from last podcast episode where I'm, I, I guess not theory. Kyle's giving me the freaking <laughs> no look. God damn it. But but I was saying that they have to stay apart at some point for a while because if she's going to stay in the Black Raven, she can't be mm-hmm. together with him. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing. I, I'm pretty sure this is the conversation where he fully apologizes and he says, I did you mm-hmm. wrong. I take full responsibility. But then he gives her back the thing and said, the bead from her hair and says, I, sh- I never should have taken this from you. And I'm like, no girl wants that back. Your b- boys are so stupid. D- n- don't do that. But don't- it makes sense because it's he's like, going to Porsche next. I, now- I totally get it. But leave the fucking things alone. The one thing I wanted to ask you guys is when he says that I should have never taken it. Does that mean at that time he knew he was going to leave her? Because that was our I question. I had that thought. Yeah. I had that exact thought as well. And but I also I think, just think he's saying the nicest words possible. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it means something specifically, but that was a question we had. Did he know or did he change his mind? I think that's, think. we don't know. Yeah. I don't, uh, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, he was having second thoughts that day. I mean, he wanted to meet up somewhere. He knew something was off that day, even before they said, I love you. Yeah. Not with them maybe, but just knowing that they, they probably never would have worked like, being a fae and and him in the being the inspector i guess he wasn't the inspector he was a soldier yeah. but yeah all right let's finish this episode strong we get a quick flash to vignette delivering dahlia hamlin's wings that they just dumped his body in the sewer so that clears her she's now good with the black ravens again now we go back to philo in the aftermath of that whole night and he is walking up on the street and sees portia walks right up to her they start having her conversation and he's asking her out on a date. He's finally committing to Portia. That's and sweet. it seems that he had some sort of resolution with Vignette and he's ready to move on finally. I love how um, she is like, you know, like, what's this about? And he goes, I decided to choose a world. Like that yeah. means anything to her. And she's I, like, I, uh, I bet. Yeah. I, that's <laughs> funny too, because I, I took it as he was bet. getting ready to say I chose V, Vignette. Me too. Not when he Honestly, says, I chose I a world. Too. Like, I chose a world. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fae. I'm going to eventually move on to that. So we have a little bit of a reversal uh, when they're in the date. They're eating dinner. Uh, Philo finally answers her question from episode two, and he says that it was me who hurt the girl. And Portia responds to him that sometimes that's harder to live with than the other way around. And Philo goes, I bet. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a really true line. I, I, lo- I really like that line. That, that's a- and it, it flashes to Vignette who is outside of the Tettersby, Tetterby on the Tourmaline's porch. And she's just been there all night, all morning, just crying to herself. And Tourmaline looks fantastic in the <laughs> scene, by the way. But she comes out and just comforts her. And as she does, the classic, I can say classic now because you guys know, the, the Carnival Row angelic Ashling voice starts playing mm-hmm. to play us out of the episode. I love the soundtrack. Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me so too. Good. Woo! Episode four. Love the joining of unlike things. I like I like that title. I like the idea of it. I really liked this episode. I I'm like I was saying. I just think the show's getting better and better each episode. Once three happened and we got the background, it's all rise, baby. Say your theory, you coward. Not till episode five. We got to get some more info. So jumping right into episode five, grieve no more. We're gonna go through it in the same format where we're gonna quickly jump through all the spurn rows and agria scenes, and then go through all the Philo scenes. Vignette's a side character in this episode, I want to say, so it's going to be split up between the two buckets. 
our first scene is at the Spurners' house, and we have Ezra and Imogen talking about the procurement of the bank loan. And this is where Imogen divulges her business plan to Ezra. She's going to, instead of signing her name on the house contract to put it up against a bank as collateral, she says, she's being very vague about this. She knows a guy that's going to finance the whole thing. And the only thing he wants back in return is to be accepted into their social circle. Ezra is a little thrown off saying, okay, let's hear about this guy. Who is this? I would love to do business with him, whatever. And she eventually says it's the puck, Mr. Agrius. And he is livid at first saying that this is going to cause a whole scandal. It's going to ruin the Spurner's name. And I think Imogen just puts her foot down and says, I'm not signing that that collateral uh, contract. So I don't know what you're going to do without me. Uh, yeah. So the only thing I wanted to say about that scene was that she was originally bringing it up saying, Oh, I have somebody who will be willing to loan the money. And he's like, listen, I don't care about your gossips. This person's cousin who might want to give us some money. And then she says like what Luke was saying, well, we have, uh, no, no, this is, for, this is for real. He wants to give us some money. He just wants to be. And then Luke already finished that. But I just thought it was funny that he was again, giving her a little slap little jab saying, I don't care about gossip here, Kardashian. And it seems like Imogen's evolving a little bit. Mm -hmm. She's starting to be socially progressive in the tiniest bit compared to Ezra, who now, as we know from the sexual assault thing a couple episodes ago, he's pretty unredeemable. So I'm putting all my eggs in uh, Imogen's basket to hold down the Spurn Rose storyline because she's definitely more likable of the two. One final comment is that uh, it's a lean. You put a lean on your house. Okay. Lean it's not a back. collateral contract. It's, it's a lean. I mean, I'm an urban planner by trade, so that uh. Well, that they matters. say the word collaterals all the time. Yeah, they do. So whatever. It's a lean. <laughs> <laughs> so this next scene is where we get our quick cameo. It feels like by vignette where we have the Afisa, the the puck made for the Spurn Roses, walking outside, and she sees vignette who's who's. who took over Hamlin's Black Raven route, which I guess is now implied that he was taking money for lottery tickets. Yeah, he was running the lots. Running the lots, yeah. The Finister, Finister, Finistery, Finister route. Are you good? (laughs) The Finister crossing? The Finister route, yeah. This is the scene because the social circle starts arriving, including Mr. Agrius, after Afisa goes inside after talking to Vignette real quick. And they all think he's a worker, just as typical Carnival Row uh, racism goes. What are you saying? Is this some kind of game? Mr. Agrius <laughs> lives for the awkward yeah. because he does not give a shit who he's talking to, what he says, what they say. He just puts it down however his mindset's going and fuck what the room feels. That's just how yeah. I felt every time he talked. And it's so awkward. Like I know like this is obviously how it was back then with certain things, but the women with with how awkward they are around him. Like just so obviously like this guy, what the hell is he doing here? I feel like even if I thought that I would still be polite, <laughs> like, you know, but that's because we don't live. In, yeah, I mean, not I know, in one I, that's so openly Christ. Cause we're normal humans, right. but yeah, thank God. I They're do want to so yeah. bad about it, man. Mm-hmm. Like the, the Pembrokes arrive and Mrs. Uh, Gilfoyle is like, Oh, thank heavens. Yeah. And then, yeah, then, like you said, Louisa Pembroke rolls in. And is like, oh, is, is it a game? It's yeah. like, Jesus, man. And then when she it. finds out, when she finds out, it's not. It's not like she says, like, oh, nice to meet you. She's just like, oh, 
she like looks at the cake. <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, we're dressing up as the help and, and serving the servants. <laughs> it's like, fuck you. Dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, bitch. Pembroke, the husband, was actually surprisingly welcoming. He was yeah. very curious about Mr. Agrius, was asking him all these questions. And they get into this very interesting conversation that tells you a lot about Mr. Agrius. Mm-hmm. He starts saying how he's against uh, Ryder Longerbane and their views, which are anti Faye and anti Pucks. And to my surprise, because I didn't even remember this, Mr. Grease actually starts taking the side that mm-hmm. he, he we don't look after the people that are taking away the jobs from higher class. So he's, he's, he doesn't even look at himself as the race anymore. He's right. just he's more class. He's exactly. He's yeah. going by the class. He's not going by the race. He says exactly what you're saying. Look, he says, I'm the equal of you because of my class and the puck are the lower, not because they're pucks they're because they're stealing our jobs insane i did not see that coming i did not see that coming either yeah i mean he throws him a curveball he's not ready for it yep at all and also uh their brother and sister the pembrokes oh they're not married sorry there's a lot of brother and sister duos kathleen is there any sexual tension with that tension there Okay, I sorry, I was uh, not paying attention, but I <laughs> want to add that I'll, I'll tell you one thing: I ain't showing up to Jimmy dressed to the nine to a party. <laughs> like that's fucking freaking me out. Everyone, stop showing up with your sisters to party. Yeah, right, exactly. And if I'm showing up to Jimmy with a party, we're in scream masks, we're ripping shots. <laughs> like it's not this fancy thing that makes you feel like there's sexual tension. Exactly, we're ripping shots. <laughs> um. I my I think my favorite part of the scene is when Leonid Pembroke, the the brother, is kind of talking about you know getting to the point of inclusivity, and Mister Grace kind of looks at him is like you know like I used to live in Puyan with the Pucks, and I'll tell you they didn't give a shit about inclusivity like they that wasn't even a fucking concept, and then they were like the the woman Mrs. Gilfoyle is like well who would want to live there, and then there's just flat silence mm-hmm. so awkward and then they zoom in right on imogen's face and you're just feeling like that she is just like freaking out inside mm-hmm. and just goes harkin cake anyone yeah <laughs> i want a piece of that i want to try it afisa was talking it up she was that shit apparently slaps best in the fucking bird baby and the the so we step away from that incredibly awkward scene just to come back to the aftermath of it and all of the Social circle families are split up. I think the brother Pembroke is with, is it Gilfoyle is the other family? Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the guys are talking, the girls are talking, and it's just Imogen talking to Mr. Agrius. And she, Kyle, like you're saying, she is just incredibly dead on the inside, freaking out. She's anxious. She's so worried about the scandal that this is going to cause that she's ready to call off this entire business deal and say, I, I really respect the way that she said it when she said, I understand I can't keep up my part of the business deal, so I don't expect you to keep up yours. And Agrius is ready to say, okay, well, fuck off. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. But as he stands up to go, Ezra surprisingly comes in to save the day. Shocking everybody in the room. Oh, my gosh. He was just joyful coming. Oh, Mr. Agrius, so great to see you. Just sits down, starts looking him right in the eye, talking to him. And the other parts of the social circle just take note. Mm -hmm. It's great. And because it's the male accepting him. Mm then it's okay and like it's better i guess not yeah. okay cuz they're still thinking lower of them the other thing that i was ready for that 0 to 100 moment when agrius starts raising his voice again and she's like oh shit like <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah man i thought that was going to go that that way like i didn't think Ezra was going to show up cuz they are whispering and yeah. then he I, I don't remember the exact word it might be joke 
And yes. he says it really loudly. And then everyone in the other room like kind of looks. Yeah. Like how um like the ladies are like kind of leaning in like for the yeah. gossip. And the guys are just sitting there smoking cigars, like <laughs> kind of curious, but like not really like caring that much. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was funny. So if we're ready to move on, this is the last scene for the Spurn Roses and Mr. Agrius for the episode. It's later that night after the social circle leaves from T. And Ezra and Imogen are sitting there in their house holding the check from Mr. Agrius. And they are completely disgusted with themselves for having have gone through with this plan and all the repercussions it's going to mean for their reputation. But at the end of the scene, we do have Imogen to herself now at this point, looking out the window and having like, she's just seeing Mr. Agrius out on his balcony, just staring out at the city and it looks like he to me i don't know what you guys got from it but he looked pretty satisfied mr agrius and imogen looked very interested i guess Mm -hmm. is the right word to see how this was going to affect him and what this meant for their family yeah this was another situation where ezra was freaking out and you could tell imogen as well was still not happy but she still was defending her choice and she says like this we wouldn't be in the situation if dad was still alive because he was saying can you imagine our father seeing us right now dealing with a puck and she's like, well, we wouldn't be in this situation if our father was alive. So she's just, you know, throwing L's at Ezra. Final Their prediction. dad, by all, by all means, seems like he was a good guy. I mean, I, better. I, don't, I don't know. Is better. It? Okay. I'm not going to say good guy, but you know, he, obviously he was a very successful businessman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kathleen, I don't know if uh, you felt it, feel it or not. So you could tell me, is there a sexual tension between Agrius and Imogen? Because I don't know where this goes besides them being together. <laughs> Yeah, so I see that. I see that that's what they want it to be. I don't really see it sexually. It's more like I wish she was a little more hot and bothered than she's acting. She's not. I think if they end up hooking up by the end of the season, it'll be a little rushed and out of character because she she's not. You don't see any sweet moments where she's looking at him and like, thinking like oh or anything well, like see, that that's a little bit different than what luke's saying because luke was saying he, he thought she was looking interested i thought like i could see like you're saying okay the sexual thing i, I you know i don't see that right now but i could see her maybe starting to, to fall in love with him in the next three episodes like sure. that might be fine with me if they give him enough face time yeah i mean it might Can't again, wait to find out this is season one so it doesn't have to happen in one season mm-hmm. true all right so just like last episode, the actual opening to the episode is our other storyline. Uh, we float down through the berg, through the row, to find our boy Millworthy performing yet another show. Hmm. But this time, we have an audience. And this time, the act has changed because he's actually – the show is our show. It's yeah. acting out the the death of uh, Ashling, the death of the headmaster. Uh, we got the kobolds working their magic, acting their asses off. Um, and this time, obviously, uh, Millworthy is a lot more successful. They get a lot more money. He's just milking the the death of his friend, man. I know, right? But and love that voice, the angelic yeah. voice he plays. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. The little dudes just kill it. They know their shit. They're very good actors. But I thought it was very interesting that it, it was now replaying our TV show. And at the end of the act the person that comes up to comment about the the show is Madame Mora, who is the head of the Tetterby Hotel. So I do like just the idea of they're scanning the crowd and it's a bunch of like boring townspeople and then her pink hair. Mm -hmm. You can't help but just 
lock eyes with her. And of course, tourmaline with the blue hair is the best. So I just like an, an added little thing. But not all of the sex workers have colored hair, correct? Or is that a is that a thing? I thought I was taking it like if you're a sex worker, the blue hair shows that you're a sex worker and the pink hair makes her the madam of the... That I, was my guess. I don't. Did when Jonah first shows up, were there more uh, blueies and pinkies around? Yeah, there's definitely more blueies. Uh, okay. The other girl blue-y. that was his usual was a blue hair girl. If you're too. the madam, you're, there's only one madam. And I, my comment is, do not deport deport these little angels because the constable shows up. He's such a everybody with mutton chops in this show is the worst. And he shows up. He's like, right? What's this all about? Like, yeah. wh- what's going on here? And he's like, what? Even the madam was like, can you just leave him alone? Everyone is like, stop to the police. Just stop. <laughs> but he's he's like a traffic cop. It's like, chill out, bro. Yeah. Yeah, fucking cuppins, dude. He's just finding a. It's like he gets money for it or something because he was just finding a way to get these kobolds or to get him in trouble. It's so yeah. lame. I'm still trying to figure out where Millworthy and the little dudes come into the whole overarching storyline. I enjoy it a lot, though. I like little, the little dudes. dudes. I love the kobolds. I texted Kyle and I was like, "Not the kobolds, no." <laughs> little, dudes. little dudes. So wait, one sec, Jimmy. You're saying you don't have a theory for that? I mean, I technically. all right so moving on from the little dudes we get philo returning to the scene of the crime basically at the higher spec shop uh and he is looking for the results of her witchcraft this dark asher uh but first he's attracted to a poster that is uh an anatomy of a human being Mm -hmm. and this is where he finds out that the they have a name for the liver called the repository of secrets what do you guys think about that? Yeah, so he's taking the livers. Now, I don't think there's ever been anything actually showing that he's eating the liver. So he's like cutting it open. We've seen in the second liver he's that he's actually secrets. He's trying to get the secrets to come out of it. I don't know, but because Ashling's liver was not found. Right. But this, this liver was fa- uh but the headmaster's liver was found and it was cut it in like pieces you could tell. Yeah. It was touched. Right. You know? And he was holding on to it when Philo mm-hmm. met with him. So then we move on to the Harrisbeck showing the results of the ritual. And we now see this disgusting, wiggling fish mole, Dark Asher, that's alive. That is and now bonded with our boy Philo. Are forever, you kidding me? Forever. And he is just disgusted. But at the same time, he, he now believes in the idea that things can be brought back from the dead. And... One of the things he says to the witch as he's about to leave is that when she says, "You like this is yours, basically. This is, <laughs> this is you now. And then she, he goes, all right, we'll just kill it. And she says, you can't. It's not going to die until you take your last breath. And he says, put it in a jar. And to what you're saying earlier, Jimmy, yeah, I think it just, I don't think it grows. I think it just lives in the jar forever until Philo dies. Yeah, and it's just so weird that he's just like walking out the door like, oh, I guess that's not a big deal that something is bonded to me that this lady controls now in a jar that's chopped into three pieces. I don't know. Delicious. Delicious. He, I mean, he doesn't give a fuck. And for yeah. me, even as a viewer, like it's a fictional show and I'm thinking like, that thing's just going to sit in that jar. Yeah, right. Uh. But we do get a quick information dump here and i think we've been talking about it throughout the episode but this is when the harrisbeck says that the dark asher that philo is actually worried about the big cthulhu looking one has the thoughts and even the eyes of the master behind the dark asher Mm -hmm. which 
you I like how you guys reacted to it, how that just makes it all better. Because it right. definitely does. It, it adds another whole layer to this thing just being brute strength and murdering. And then also the, before you guys can comment on it in a second, I think we there's one more thing that she says is that the skills ta- that it would take to raise a dark asher like the one he's describing are way outside of her league. Note so that, that. Yeah, For, exactly. Yeah. And it's all yeah, it's it is cool to know now that these dark ashers won't die unless the owner master dies. So those shotgun bullets didn't do anything to our dark asher. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. As long Not sure why as he disappeared though. Breathe. He's trying to keep him alive for some reason actually. I like what they say in the show is that they'll say like as long uh, uh, Imogen says it at some point she's like as long as I draw breath. It's yeah. like damn. They just all I mean Spartacus. Yeah, I was going to say that's a Spartacus yeah. line too. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the Breakspears breakfast table. And this is finally with the whole family reunited. It seems to probably be a little bit after Jonah just returned home. And the parents start just talking about disciplining him right in front of his eyes, right in front of Jonah's eyes. And I put a note here how Absalom says something like, yeah, maybe we should discipline him. And then Jonah says right away, well, I was the victim. And then he looks at his wife because, well, he is right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he just is such a little bitch. He just Absalom just feels like he just gets swayed by the moment. He's so rash and. So for what we know about piety, obviously, that those two don't know or Jonah kind of might think, it's it's weird that it's still a situation where you would think that the chancellor would want to punish him because they specifically said, don't go to the row, don't go to a whorehouse, even though he's the victim, quote unquote, he's I don't know how old he is. And I, I mean, he can live his own life, but he still is going totally against what his parents said. And that's why he got kidnapped. I mean, he may have gotten kidnapped somewhere else at another time, but I understand the, you know, the thought that obviously, yes, they should be mad about that. But at the same time, like he was kidnapped for what we think is, you know, at least days. And they're thinking the possibility they'll never see him again. So, you know, him coming back and it's like, okay, you know, he learned he should have learned his lesson. You know, his punishment was being fucking kidnapped. Yeah. And piety makes it very obvious that this seems to be about the idea that she wants to blood a fire under Jonah's ass to start taking up the destiny that yeah. she was promised by the horror specs that we talked about a couple episodes ago, how her son with Absalom was going to be this great man. Mm-hmm. Right. I love a good prophecy. Yeah, of course. Big and fan. that's what it looks like. Her goal is to say, stop fucking around, Jonah. You got to get your shit together. You got to become he, they even float around the idea of the next king, which yeah. isn't even a thing right because now. Can you imagine your dad as a chancellor and you're supposed to be higher than him? Can you imagine what heights you're going to get to? Right. I think this is a this is a really, a really relatable scene for Jonah because he's thinking, you know, he's been dealing with this his entire life of this prophecy that, you know, his mom especially has just been pushing on him forever and ever and ever. And he's basically in this scene, you realize that he in his head thinks that he'll always be inadequate to her. Like there's nothing short of becoming the fucking king, which is, you know, in his head, probably impossible. It's the only way that his mom will see him as worthy. Mm-hmm. And obviously he resents her for that. And then on top of that, he's still struggling with the fact that he thinks that she's the one who kidnapped him. Right. And that's the important part of why he would be so resistant to even listening to her at all right now. And he does say something under his breath, like, oh, you have my best interest in mind or something. And, sh- and she's what, what, what'd mm-hmm. you say? Yeah. You know, 
So the final conclusion of that scene is they send him to house arrest, basically, and he has to finish his studies. This next scene, I have no idea what's happening. This is the... Felt out of place a little bit. Yeah, one of the pucks. uh, Looks like almost like homeless. Mm, There's a line of pucks giving food to other pucks. And it's obviously some like religious cult thing happening here. Little and faith militia here. Yeah. yeah. I was just gonna say someone is gonna say it. Yeah. And so they're giving food, and this guy just barges in, cuts the line, but the one of the leaders, it seems like, takes him in, gives him food, and tells him to read this little Bible looking thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, not interested. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh it's imp- it's really hard to catch it, but that is Quill. That is Jonah's bodyguard who was fired. Oh wow! Okay, that means a lot more in it. That I literally yeah. did not so catch that at more. all. It's it's hard. Yeah, that's true, and that's a great call, out, Kai. Vet status. Um, yeah, that was actually good. I had no idea. So there's a scene where he's eating and flipping through, and they fade out on him and zoom like kind of the, the top doorway. of the doorway. Yeah. There's like a symbol there that they show, and then they go back, and I'm like, don't know what it means, but I clocked it in this dome. Clocked it in this rook dome. All right. So after we're in the um, the soup kitchen, we find ourselves in the constabulary. So the fucking bastard Cuppins has officially arrested Millworthy, it looks like. Uh, he's brought him into the station and basically says that the cobbleds need papers or they have to leave the burg. How could you look at those things and say that? They were yeah. the cutest freaking little pets he tries to convince them they're not fae and that they're pets and then the constable still like to be honest i don't even know if kobolds are in the thing i'm just being a dick and then he and then so he's like but if they're pets then i'm gonna find you about that and millworthy's like okay i'll pay it so millworthy sits down and god damn it keep an eye on your kobolds yeah and the little dudes you could tell like obviously they're not speaking english but they're getting pissed man yeah. they're screaming out the little window thing mm-hmm. and <laughs> like, he's, they're not that smart it's funny that they have the argument that we the discussion that we had in like the first or second at the second episode of like like are they pets like yeah, do they count right. as pets are they how smart are they you know and he even said cup and says like you know they have intelligence and i think millworthy whispers like they're not that smart yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so cuppins goes to figure out what the fuck the law is uh and mm-hmm. on his way to do that we run into philo flute and dombey so the three of them are just continuing to discuss the case. Philo brings up the fact that the livers have been taken by all of them. Uh, Dombey continues to be a cuck and kind of just laugh in his face about, you know, that he's believing in this critch magic, mm-hmm. essentially. So Flute kind of walks away. He trusts Philo in a way, so he's, you know, you'll figure it out. And Berwick asks him, you know, why didn't you tell him about the Dark Asher? And I have the reaction of like, are you fucking serious? Like these guys would never fucking believe that. And right. Philo kind of almost says the same thing. So after that conversation with Berwick, Philo heads back to the foster home and runs into Piat Pri from Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah. Another one of, I, I don't even know what to call them, fathers, maybe. They, the people that, the, the men there that look after all the kids that, that live in the foster home. Yeah, I guess they're priests. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. And so we get a cool flashback here after Philo has a quick conversation with Piat Pri, walks around the where he used to sleep. And we actually see Darius as a little yeah. kid with Philo, which is really cool. Philo jumping on the bed saying, look at me, like I can fly, which is double entendre thing kind of yeah. going on there because he's missing his wings. So when he falls to the ground, he's got his head scar. All these things are clicking. It's just bringing in all these memories and 
as audience members, which we, now we know at the end of the episode, you're supposed to start tying in why are all these murders happening and what is, what is, what's going on here? And why is Philo back in this place? What's he going to learn here? And this is when we start getting flashbacks and hearing Ashling singing outside of the foster home. I love it. It's so good. I, this whole scene was great for me. The Darius and Philo stuff is really good for me because again, why does he visit them every single day? We knew they were bros in this. It, the episode three was enough for me to, to say, okay, they were boys. They were soldiers together. That's fine. Knowing that they grew up together, basically brothers. That makes so much more sense that he visits them every day. And then, the singing really does it for me. Yeah. So right here is where my first boom kind of theory jumped in my head. And I was like, okay, so she's the mom. And I thought the headmaster would be the dad because we don't know anything yet else. Okay. So I was saying that she would be the mom because she's Faye and he's having these flashbacks and he's hearing her sing. And he's the dad because he's the person who knows that he's also Faye and he's keeping him safe. That's that was my first theory. Okay, that's very reasonable. And I thought that I was going to be the man because I wanted to say I know, it's the mom. You know, we're not going to mm-hmm. get that reveal this episode. <laughs> but they took that away from you. Took it away. So uh, Philo then finds himself in the headmaster's office. Um, he's kind of rummaging through the belongings. And he has yet another flashback of him and the headmaster praying to the martyr. This scene's very short and it doesn't really feel that significant, but the only comment I do have is that the young headmaster looks like a, a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Dude, I, I felt the same exact way. Uh-huh. He told me, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a thought. I was like, is that him? Well, this is when Philo's praying and he's telling him to pray to hide the fey blood in his veins, yes? Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. relevant. I was more focused on Obi-Wan. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, so. that's important because that, that's the information Philo gave to Vignette. I think something we also miss was I call him Piat. Is it is it Piat Pri? Yeah. Is it Piat? I always call him Piat Pri. In my head, it's Piat. But yeah. Um. So the one thing we missed was with Piat that in the beginning, Philo's asking him questions and he's being sketchy. Like it is he. Not only is he not answering him right, he seems guilty of something. You know when he's answering. So that's why. I mean, the next scene coming up is when he's talking about. It's very important the omission of the truth. We're giving a lie. The omission of a sin is worse than the commission of a sin. Right. Yeah. And this is when Philo finally gets the information out of him. The info that he gets finally is that the headmaster would go to the Tetterby every single and weird day, whatever that Gulls day, day bro. Every single Gulls day. Dateline Cattills day. If and you for family <laughs> So he gets that information. So every every goals day, he dresses up really nice and goes to the Tetterby. So now we have a little bit of a lead for Philo. Yeah. I mean, hey, headmaster, I think it's Costin. My guy gets dressed to the nines and goes and succumbs to the appetites of the flesh. I yep. can't blame him. And before we get the conclusion and the, re- and the actual good information that comes from that scene, we have a lit parliament scene and this are you guys good for me to move on boy am i move it so we have jonah walking into the upper story of the parliament circular center and he is being told that he's got to learn some more politics from his father and watch what's going on here and this scene is the introduction of sophie longerbane writer longerbane's daughter who's going to be replacing him as the proxy vote 
mm-hmm. temporarily is the whole thought. She's just going to be a placeholder for her father. I love it. They're like, it's just it's a, a cur- formality, yeah. a courtesy. Yeah, it was awesome because then she came in so hot. Like oh, she yeah. did not. She took advantage of that. The funniest thing about it is that she starts like she's on the other side, like she's flipping. And even the chancellor's guy who's with Jen is like, oh, my gosh, she's flipping on her dad. Because it would have put the balance over to one side. Yep. I think that was the whole point is that the majority would have shifted in the pro Fay way. Right. And then she yeah. does this whole epic speech where I like I like the part, Kathleen. I thought you were going to really fuck with this character because <laughs> they basically tell her, all right, thank you for doing this. Sit the hell down. She goes, hold on. I'm not done. Oh, yeah. Goes on this whole speech and completely revs up the the yeah. longer Bane side yeah. right. saying we're never going to let these motherfuckers yeah. take Anti-tale. our job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was crazy because yeah, like you're saying she starts on the one side because she's saying, you know, she's talking about her mother's memory and how her ancestors from the Pharaonic coast, you know, arrived on the shores of the Berg and carved out a life for themselves. And she's like, you know, these Fae, very similar situation. Like it's a worthy conversation for us, you know, can they be integrated? And then she's like, Nope. <laughs> no yeah. fuck no <laughs> yeah i mean even the chancellor's like here here like you know like, yeah nope. yeah jonah wants to bang her but <laughs> yo that's <laughs> what i was gonna say <laughs> that's what i was gonna say except jonah for not the siblings part. okay kathleen so let's do this again your theory is that piety is the mother it's of sophie's Sophie. mom so that means piety was banging longer bean yeah baby <laughs> yeah baby <laughs> okay so that means him. So is your theory Jonas, that she they're, they're, wanted him they're dead? They're siblings. She, okay. she My w- theory was that first was that P- Piety wanted to get Sophie out of Longer Bane's grasp. Like, I don't know what was going on, but she, but I, w- I don't know if Sophie was even aware that that was they were related. And then it turned to, OK, she's the mom. And maybe she wanted Sophie to be on the ticket for some reason. I, after this scene, I was like, okay, if Piety has anything to do with Sophie, it's because she wanted her to get onto this ticket on. Like, maybe, again, I don't know. I'm not and sure. The fact no, these, she, are, these are theories that hold weight, and, at least at, from this point of in the episode. And to what you're saying, and the, the fact that it would be that she cheated on the Chancellor to have Sophie wanting the, the longer being to be gone would make sense, too. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And All right, the scene, we the see scene you, ends, hold on, the scene ends with Jonah becoming completely infatuated with her saying, what, what, does anyone have the quote? Uh, she's the most uh, uh, innocent thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Spectacular. Something like, Something that, like yeah. that. But I mean, yeah. we, Kathleen already mentioned it, though. He's like, yo, that chick's fucking hot. Give me your number. She's a plotter. And I, I can't get enough of the plotters going on in a political mystery. Something like this. Yeah. Right? And nothing like a dark horse, like underdog, a girl. You better mm-hmm. stop. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, the best is yeah, like you're saying. I mean, she comes in as the placeholder, the the formality, and then next thing you know, she's this gifted orator who's just rousing up the entire parliament. But I wrote in my notes that like she's a gifted orator, and like instead of having like like a brass balls, I said she has a brass clit. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that. Keep that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to figure out the right word, but yeah. The brass that's, clit. That's, that's magic. That's Kai. being used going forward. Yeah. Got, that bitch got brass yeah. clit. So instead of instead of having balls, she's got a brass clit. That's like in the magicians where they say ovary up. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. 
Brass ovaries. We only got a couple more scenes left here, guys. So this next one feels like a little bit of a nothing scene in the Tetterby vignette is with Tourmaline Hmm. looking over the lottery numbers in the newspaper. No one's really a winner. Madame Mora comes upstairs and says, fine, like she can stay. She was a little annoyed at that. That's kind of I think they just needed to get Cara Delevingne in there for one fucking scene. Is she... In, she's in the next scene she was in, with but i love yeah. this because there is tension between her and tourmaline tourmaline's like i shouldn't get used to this huh and they have this moment and i'm yeah. like my eyeballs were like going like see this. but the, the moment i think is on tourmaline's side i don't think i agree v is, totally. is on it yeah totally this is um i got serious college roommate vibes here because <laughs> she's like all right i'm gonna dip and i'll come back like 2 a.m with food and she's like all right bet <laughs> I can't not think of the college roommate fact every single time I see them now. Right? So yeah. thank you. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, so as Vignette leaves, who does she run into in the ground floor of the Tetter B? But Philo, that's crazy. So they have a little a little petty spat. Because I, I mean, dirt, you know, exes run into each other in a brothel. That's fairly awkward. Yeah, man. Even nickel, after their man. last meeting, I guess, was sort of civil. But you'd be right. broke as hell, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's thinking he's like looking for her, and he's like, "Yeah, relax, okay. I'm here for some business. Yeah. Don't worry about what kind of business it is." Yeah, we get a lot of good information here that he was going to. Are we here yet? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Philo he... seeks out Mora. Yeah. So she tells him that. The guy who died, I can't think of his name on the top of my head. He the was master. he was getting all dressed up to the nines, going to this place, and he's like, Oh, he was like seeing a fae or whatever. And she's like, Not a fae. The beds were empty. The be- the fae beds were empty at least. Yeah, so it pretty much empty. the way that it goes is he's saying that I want to know who this guy is seeing. I want to see this guy's girl. Where's where's his main girl? And she goes, Well, my clients expect confidentiality. And he says, Well, your client's dead. Okay, then she goes, oh, he's dead. So then she starts to help him. And she says, all right, well, this is a little uh, complicated. So she says, every Cattill's day. <laughs> what is it? Day? Every Cattill's day. day. Jesus, like not even close. Like no, that's Family day. Guy. God oh, damn it. it. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that's the Family Guy joke where he says they added a day to Dateline so they can do more news in Dateline Cattill's day. So... <laughs> So she says this gets a little complicated. Every goals day, he dresses up and he comes and he orders two girls. And the problem is that they go to a room and the bed gets used, but the girls aren't being the ones that are used. So he thinks he's being with a married woman and keeping it a secret pretty much. And then she says, eh, no, a little bit more complicated than that. And that's where we meet. The coroner slash doctor. Marange? Right? I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I'm in on Marange. Marange. So Marange is the man that the headmaster has been coming here to see. And we find out through this whole, it's probably supposed to be meaningful and emotional coming out to Philo, kind of. Uh, He's the the headmaster has been meeting him here for, I don't know. A long time. 20 years because he knew Ashling from 20 years ago. And that was this whole connection. It's sad because they have to 
hide in secret and and live out their lives but yeah he does give the information that he knew ashling he saw her perform dozens of times and and we kind of find out okay the murders are connected somehow yeah and, but he says i don't know how they're connected because he hasn't seen her in so 20 long years, yeah and the other thing that is important is our boy philo again he doesn't care about your sexual orientation love that guy yeah he's the man uh, the other thing is, and I just want to say, it actually took me a second to even realize who this guy was. Mm-hmm. Me I, too, honestly. I was like, I was thinking this crazy reveal, and I go, wait, 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 who is this? And I was like, okay, okay, I got it. Then the next thing that happened is, it is a crazy line that Philo says where he was like, you were right there over, standing over the body with me, and you've been with this guy for however long loving him, and you didn't show me anything. And yep. he's like, well, when you're keeping a secret, you get used to it. And this also yeah. crushes your theory, right, Jimmy? No. That the oh, my master, first theory. The, with the yes. headmaster being... No, it's almost time. It's almost time. Yeah. It's gonna be, it's gonna I, did, I would say the important part of this scene, well, one of the important parts is that what like the feelings that Marange is speaking to in this moment is exactly how Philo feels about himself. Yes. So Marange says that we only had one night a week where we could be who we truly were. So little time in the scheme of things, yet somehow it's the rest of it that, and then Philo finishes finishes it and says, feels like a lie. Yep. And then Marange says that maybe it's time I stop hiding. And then the last thing you see after that quote is Philo's face. And he yep. is now thinking, you know, coming to these terms like, damn, I agree. You know, maybe it's yeah. time I stop hiding. That's a, that's a really, really, this is a really great scene. And in, like Luke said, it does kill my theory saying that I think the headmaster is the father. Go on. Eh, we all take L's. Just wait. Some more than others. And Kathleen, here you go. This is this is the quick part two of the homeless puck, Quill. And he goes back to the little religious puck sect, sector of the of the Carnival Row, and he goes right up to the priest, I want to say again, who gave him the book, and he looks like he's ready to fully commit yep, to whatever cult. religion cult this is. Mm-hmm. And before he goes in, he gets insulted by some leggers. I got to say, they don't do a good job of making it naturally feel like part of the episode. No. Yeah. No. It takes me out of it. I was like, what is happening? Yeah. I don't care. And I fucking hate religious stuff. Every time a show brings in religious stuff, I'm like, fuck. Mm-hmm. You definitely like will it. not like Last Kingdom then, Kathleen. <laughs> it's all religious. <laughs> but there is penises. <gasps> There's dicks. Dicks? Yeah. They're not cowards over there. They're not. Bunch of cowards. Uh, and then the worst scene of the whole thing, fucking Mills Millsworthy wakes up. He had seemingly fell asleep, and he wakes up, and the fucking kobolds are gone, and he's in a panic, and he goes to not the constable, another guy. He's like, where the fuck are my kobolds? And this guy's just blowing them off. He's yeah. like, gone, deported, got the papers. Send him off. And he's like, no, 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 no. It was pending a status check. <laughs> like, really, it was pending a status check. He's like, huh, must have missed that. Yep, they're departed. They're on a ship. It's leaving. And, I mean, our boy is freaking out. He's like, give me the name now. He's not scared of these coppers. He's like, give me the fucking name. He runs out, and the ship is gone. That R. ship is sailed. To Fike and the boys. Are the little dudes going to come back, man? They got to come back. We got to get a fate to just fly over to the ship. I was sad, up. man, because these things have intelligence. That that makes it even sadder. It's They're like sentient. these are his friends. Yeah, yeah, that's his boys. Ugh. I can't wait until the finale episode where Philo and Vignette are pinned down, 
and they're about to get murdered and the boys, the Cobalt boys just come in like <laughs> fucking, they zip line in the, <laughs> through a window. All right. and they, and they I'm kill, writing that down. <laughs> and they kill the dark Asher the last second. Like in the Cobalt boys. That's Jimmy's theory. Yeah, I just they took kill it right the master, out of his The dark Asher and you just totally screwed my theory up. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was his theory and you just said it? <laughs> more pizzazz. True. <laughs> I want to have so much swag when I tell my theory. You better. All right, Kyle, you want to take us through the last scene of the app? Yes. Yeah, so we find Marange back at home after he leaves the Tetterby. He gives his good girl Giddy a little pet, reminds her that she's a good girl, hangs up his sweet top hat and coat, sits down and pours up some drank. So as he's pouring the drank and sipping the drank, we get a little bit of a flashback. And you kind of can't tell whose flashback it is, but you're supposed to think that it's Marange's. So we get a baby. We get a baby Faye with its wings, and it's kind of you know getting placed on a table. Someone picks up some some clippers, and you only really hear the sounds, and you hear the snip, snip, and the baby starts to cry, and then the wings get, get tossed into a little dish. It's a good and baby actor, man. You saw the pain on his face. Stop. That is- True. It's horrifying. It is horrifying watching that scene. Also, just like the most savage surgery, he blatantly just like took scissors and was like, snip, snip. It wasn't like, yeah. we have to untether the, the veins with the nerves. It was I more mean, like, uh, machete, you are no longer a fae. <laughs> the wings might as well be like taking a leg off. They're big. It's not like you're just snipping like a toenail or something. Like, geez. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very traumatic. And, it wakes Philo up. I mean, I, I couldn't tell almost if it's, this isn't a range flashback. This is a Philo dream. Yeah. Um, so he wakes up in a cold sweat in bed with Portia after the date. My guy's a closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she leaves and he's kind of sitting there left alone, woken up after the stream. And what else does he do? But he goes to Ashling's apartment mm-hmm. and starts playing that wonderful music on the boxograph. Now, Love that boxograph. Something that's also important that I didn't know if it was going to matter as much because I wasn't sure if this reveal was going to be fully revealed at the end of the app. The subtitles set, show during the dream that Ashlyn's, it's his Ashlyn's voice, Ashlyn's sound, like song, is in the background of the dream when he's getting snipped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let me just say that in the span of this last five to ten minutes we get the cobalt taken away we got a baby being sheathed and the dog being killed and the dog three well, not giddy not giddy yeah, two. The, the dog being killed is two is pretty dramatic because we get him playing the song and we're like oh my god the song we love this song and it like is playing in the background when we go back to marange's house and then it's just very abruptly stops and we hear the crash and then the dog whining and it's like oh fuck yep that was good directorial decision to make the music hard cut like that to raise the tension so severely right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we don't, I don't like to go through the dog's death, but the dog dies. The dog yeah. dies and the doctor gets attacked as well. So my thought is just that the monster is attacking everyone who is close to Philo or relevant to Philo. And I, and I think he's slowly, I don't know if I was realizing this, but so the doctor was involved in sheathing him. I thought the headmaster was the dad. Are you saying he's not the dad? And then not even, is the well, mom. that's what I thought. So and I was like, damn, everyone's killing anyone related to him, which is interesting. Well, exactly what you said. He does start to realize because Philo puts in 
he picks up one of the other canister songs and puts in the one where she's directly singing to her son. And like, that's the lyrics of the song. And it's just. Yeah. That song slaps. <laughs> it was really <laughs> good. My iPod but honestly, the craziest, like, it, I knew it was coming, but it was still pretty wild to see as that song's playing and it flashes to Ashling flying above uh, Philo, like in the foster home, and she's singing directly. And that's when the lyrics drop saying, To my one and only son. And I thought that was dope. That was one of the biggest reveals that I remember from the first time I watched the show back in 2018. And I just have been waiting for it to happen. And I'm happy that none of you guys predicted it. I know Jimmy, you were very close to, and if this last, if that twist lasted another episode, you would have gotten it. Yeah, but it, it was good, right? Because, yeah, it was really good. One of my favorite things is that when when Philo's realizing it, and that song's playing in in present day, he actually goes over to the wall of Ashling's flat and pulls off the the prints of the wings and the hands, which right. we now know is his yes. as a baby. Right. And that was one of the things I was like giving eyes to Kyle when we were podcasting about the first episode because that's just so obviously there. Yeah. And when you don't know it's there, it's kind of like whatever in the background, but it's it's just a cool little scene. It is, it is really cool because me and Luke were talking about this off pod. I did have a note and I didn't say it on the pod. I said, why is, is Millworthy saying that she had no family, but it's not zooming in, but it's like blurry around everything except for this like baby thing. But I'm, this is when we didn't know that he was Faye, and I wasn't thinking about that at all. And even when it happened, and we find out he's Faye, didn't think about that at all. And Luke brought up the fact that during her autopsy, they say she had a baby. She was pregnant at one time. Mm-hmm. I didn't catch that at all either, like it mattering towards Philo. I didn't catch that, but I think we we definitely said it on the podcast. I remember being mm-hmm. like, I think Kyle's the one who ran through it, actually. Because I had a different note of it. It was just very specific. It was like based on her, blah, blah, blah. I don't know, whatever it was. But no, I did not. Yeah, and it makes the ending of episode one, too, even more interesting because she picks up Philo's picture off the ground right before she dies. So the last person she sees before she dies is Philo. Right. No. Obviously, she doesn't. But she doesn't know that. But And that's that's still awesome. It's weird, and I don't, I don't, I'm wondering if we're going to get more information. Like, you see that she was visiting him while he was in the orphanage. At what point do they stop seeing each other? I know that he is asleep, and then he wakes up, and she's out the window, and that's what he remembers, just seeing the window with the, the wind going through and the curtains going. But We're going to find out. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. All right, out. Jimmy, let's hear the theory. <sighs> Woo! All right, it's time. So, my original theory that I thought I was nailing, and Kathleen hit it too, so I'm I'm not that awesome. Was that she's the mom, Who's she? Ashlyn is the uh, mom, and then I thought that in the beginning the headmaster was going to be the dad. Okay, now we know that the headmaster and the doctor were together. The coroner and the headmaster are together, so that kind of screws that theory up. Okay, so the big thing for me was I was thinking, how the hell do all these plots come together? Okay, the only, I still can't figure out Agrius and Imogen and Ezra yet, and I still can't figure out Millworthy, except for the fact that Millworthy did say that he knew Ashlyn and that he was in that the, the room that we talked about at her apartment and he was bringing up that she had no family. So my second thought was maybe he's the dad, okay? But 
I have one third theory, and I want you guys to just like stop me if it gets too crazy. I'm just going to try this, and we'll see what happens. So, okay, Kathleen was saying this earlier. The mystery now has to do with Philo, and we're looking for a master. We're guessing that the mystery has to do with Philo because now the headmaster who knew his secret is dead. The coroner who actually snipped him and knew his secret is dead, and now his mom is dead. So the only thing that I could think of to connect this is Alaria saying piety, okay, because of this witch, okay? We're talking about the monster Dark Asher. I have a couple notes. If I'm not sure exactly if, if, if Breakspear is the dad, then I don't know if piety knows, but the only thing that I can think of is that Piety said, and this is what I want to fact check with Luke. Piety said with Jonah that her vision was that his son will do great things, not our son. You're Ooh. asking the wording of what yeah. the prophecy was. I actually don't know off the top if of my head. I took a note saying she said his. So if his son, I'm thinking she knows he has another son, and that's why she's so adamant against if there's another son, meaning it's Philo. We know Philo does great things. Okay, we know Jonah doesn't right now. Hamlin said that the person who was gathering the dead body parts had a religious name. Piety is a religious name. If you look up piety, it's literally religious. Okay, (laughs) I don't know how crazy I'm getting right now. (laughs) Tinfoil city, baby. I'm trying, dude. Okay, so because I'm saying there's two sons, she would want him dead. The only thing that killed my theory for a second is that the witch said only another witch or only another stronger person, more powerful could create this monster. So I said, Oh, and then when you guys told me it is Alaria's witch, Piety's witch, I was like, mm. shit. Yeah. She Cause I thought, I thought that there would be that, two witches. That, her harsh Pi- box was, would have been the one to, right. I thought that yeah. since Piety has her own witch, that it would be her witch creating this monster. The other thing that I don't know if it's a huge deal or not is Whenever Longer Bane is teasing the Chancellor, uh, Breakspear, about Faye stuff, he gets real pissed. And we're supposed to assume it's about Jonah because we know Jonah goes to the whorehouse. But what if Longer Bane knows about the secret that he has like another son with a Faye, and that's where he's like always jabbing him? And if Piety knows this whole thing, that's why she would want another person out of it. Now, she somehow got Longer Bane out of here without the monster, and she just did it with this plan. I don't know. So I think maybe part of her plan is to try to make Jonah a better person, but also she's maybe that maybe she's the master or or Breakspear is the master to just get rid of Philo. I don't know how crazy I'm being. I think that was amazing. I thought that was awesome because you you hit on a lot of pieces that are clearly meant to, if not be the answers to mysteries, are supposed to be red herrings. So I like yeah. how you put all that together. I mean, obviously, me and Kyle can't comment on it because anything we answered would be yeah. too much. And of I say no. What do you not like about that theory? No, I'm just I, so, no I just want to you two bounce each other. Uh, do you agree that? Do, who do you think is behind I, Dark Asher? Do you think Asher? I'm grasping? Is that what? That's the problem that I, I okay, don't know. Well, here's the thing: we only have a set number of humans that it can be, and I hope that we know who's controlling the Dark Asher. Like whoever is controlling the Dark Asher, I would pray that we've met them in right. these first five episodes. So I agree. I think I think Ritter or not who just died. Ritter Longerbane died. So Absalom is is that who you're? Um, to talk you're about? saying Absalom's dad, right? Piety's Chancellor. husband. Yeah. Chancellor Absalom. 
Breakspear. Yes. <laughs> That's his full name. Um, <laughs> yeah, I could get behind that. Uh, nothing you said made me go. The only thing, the, the reason why this whole thing came about was, be, and it had, it literally happened towards the end after I was like, okay, can't be the headmaster because he's with the coroner. I mean, Millworthy could be the dad. That was my other thing. And, and then my whole huge thing is done. But the only reason why I went so into the one with, with the chancellor is that I feel like there just has to be some kind of connecting storyline with them to Philo. And there hasn't been anything yet. I agree. You know, and we know that Alaria and I keep doing that piety has some kind of scheme going. And that was what we were saying earlier. Like was the scheme to get rid of the chancellor's competition was the scheme to get rid of her, the chancellor as the chancellor. Like what is her scheme? It doesn't, we don't really know. So I don't, the only thing I could think of is that scheme with kidnapping Jonah was to get his shit together so that she can have her son be the son that turned into the king and not the other son who's Philo. I can't say who I think the master is, whether it's her or, or the chancellor, but I guess I'll go with her. All right, we'll put it on the board because our next episode is going to cover episodes six and seven, and then there's going to be a break and then the finale. So we can literally just revisit your whole thing at the end when we're talking through after all the, you get all the knowledge of episode six and seven to see if it still holds water, if parts <laughs> of it are right, if none of it's right. If all, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it then. That sucked all the energy out of that me. That was good. No, I mean, <laughs> well said. I see exactly yep. what you're going for. And I mean, I, Kathleen could be the, really the only one that can comment on the specifics. Yeah. I will say that I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate how much thought you put into it. That was awesome, yeah. yeah Regardless all, of outcome. I had to put all the notes together just because before the podcast, I had to put them all in linear order because I was like, I can't say it without it being. And the, the main thing to me was the witch. And then I thought, because Luke said, we know that that witch, and what, what do they call her? Harrisbex. The Harrisbex. the one that raised the Dark Asher. Well, we know if my theory is right, we could just assume she's lying and she says she never lies, though, Luke. But the Harrisbex that is Piety's Harrisbex, we know she's a strong bitch. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't realize the problem that I had is I didn't realize they were the same person. So if she's lying, then my theory is fine. I thought there might be an issue because I just assumed that there was two of them. All right, Kyle. I think that's it. That was a good way to end the episode. We have two more. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll play us out. So yeah, Jimmy, you were touting that theory for episodes. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, thank you for putting all that thought into it. I enjoyed that. I can't wait to find out if you're right. I can't wait to see your reaction to whether you are right or not. Um, So that does it for us for this episode, covering episodes four and five. Like Luke said, next episode we'll be covering episodes six and seven. Uh, if you like what you heard, obviously subscribe on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, Apple or Spotify, to keep track of the series and watch and listen along with us. We also do a bunch of other shows uh, like we've labeled at length and I don't feel like doing right now. Uh, definitely check out the 100 stuff though because that show's amazing and needs more love. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bingetown TV for both of them. If you're from Reddit, Please, you know, obviously upvote the post, but comment, you know, we like to get in discussions underneath all this post. So we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. And that's about it. So we'll see you guys next time. And as always, we love you guys. Love you. Love you.